It's time for DC Fandom. Hundreds of characters enter, but only Batman gets to leave. Or wait, was that Thunderdome? Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to yet another episode of the Nerd Byword Podcast. We have a really special episode for you this week. Um, DC fans uh, have reason to rejoice. Uh, DC Fandome uh, happened last weekend. We are uh, a couple weeks ahead of schedule. We've recorded up some podcasts, so by the time you're hearing this, um, it'll be it's been a few weeks since you've seen DC Fandome. But these are uh, our reactions to everything that was announced, revealed. Uh, and shown to to fans around the world. Uh, but first, it is not a complete episode of the Nerd Byword podcast without nerd news. Dave, you're up first. So uh, this is sort of a complicated story, actually, and I'm really looking forward to getting your take on it. So a few seasons ago, uh, The Flash on the CW introduced uh, Ralph Dibney, the Elongated Man, a, a fairly popular uh, comic book character who's, uh, especially in recent years, I think has seen a lot of love, especially considering that he's been uh, treated rather poorly by DC editorial several times. Um, so the actor in question, uh, Harley Sawyer, uh, has been playing Ralph Dibney for a while, and over the summer, a, a series of old tweets uh, that he had sent out surfaced, that can best be classified as misogynistic and racist. So the CW has given him the boot. Uh, now they've announced that they are going to remove the character outright from the CW Flash show, uh, giving him some kind of unspecified send-off that they're currently writing without actually having Harley Sawyer on set to do something for that. Now the decision to let Sawyer go is totally understandable. What is not to me, however, is the, continu the continued aversion of the CW to recast characters, especially when there is a potential in-story explanation for the change in look. I mean, Batwoman, for example, went for a brand new character rather than recasting Kate Kane, despite the fact that face-swapping technology has been an established part of that world. Now, I'm ultimately very happy with the, how that casting shook out, but I still think it is um, difficult to continue a Batwoman TV show without Kate Kane, considering how iconic of a character she is. And now we have uh, the Elongated Man situation, where you have a character that is being eliminated mid-storyline, mind you, when he is slowly becoming the character known from the comics, and just met the woman that will become his wife. The dude can change shape. Why not have something occur that makes him have to disguise himself for fear of being recognized? He reshapes his face and says, hey, this is what I'll look like from now on so nobody can recognize me. Finished. The character has not become radioactive, the actor has. And if you have a built-in method of swapping actors, do it. That's one of the great things about a TV show like Doctor Who, which has this incredible longevity because they have a built-in story reason for why the, the character continuously looks different. Don't just drop something fans are invested in. Recast. Chris, what is your take on this? Yeah, so first and foremost, the first thing I want to say is I'm, I'm very thankful that the CW did 
the the right thing in firing uh, the, this actor. Absolutely. Um, um, secondly, I'm, I'm really at a, a different type of perspective in many, many aspects because, as I've previously mentioned on the show, I haven't watched an episode of The Flash since, like, the first episode of season three. So I am completely out of the loop, so to speak, when it comes to this show. So, like, I haven't even encountered this character. I think I, I read the news article. He was introduced in, like, season five or was promoted to series regular in season five, something to that effect. Um I know nothing about the character, comics-wise, being the mostly Marvel fan uh, that I am. Um, but I did see that um, it, he did have shape-shifting ability, um, and that the showrunner in his comments even even hinted at that as to how they were going to tie it up very quickly at the beginning of this new season. Um, but like you said, I kind of I tend to agree with you. Like, why would you not just recast it? Um, you know, with a new actor, that'd be a simple fix. Um, uh, so again, I'm glad that people are starting to be held accountable. It's a start. We're nowhere near where we need to be with, uh, we've had centuries upon centuries of um, white male dominated, you know, culture where they feel like they could say whatever they want and, you know, everyone else be darned uh, in their feelings and, and there's no accountability whatsoever. We are just barely even tapping the ice on that. But um but as far as the character goes, like, uh, yeah, I, I think it would be easy to recast. It's never ideal to have to recast. It's never, like, optimal. Like, you think of um, uh, Don Cheadle taking over for Terrence Howard in the Iron Man films um, and MCU at large uh, as War Machine, as Rhodey. Like, that's about the best case scenario you can hope for when you have to recast something. Is, is If you've got Don Cheadle... Um, as your recast option, you're doing pretty well. Um, you know, there's umpteen other examples where that is is not turning out well. But if you have a character who can shapeshift, I mean, it's begging you to recast it, I think. Yeah, yeah, that, that was my thought as well. You know, and it's funny because things have really changed when it comes to casting, even on TV. When you uh, look historically at stuff like soap operas, you know, an actor changes, they want to keep the character around because they've written like weeks ahead of what they're going to do with the character. If you look at some of the older soap operas, like new actor walks on set and you just have a voiceover. The character of so-and-so will now be played by, and that's it. It's never acknowledged again and you just move forward. And, and I feel that to a certain extent, you can do that kind of thing still, uh, especially in, in stories that are comic book based where you have all these fantastical things happening and you can have an in-story reason for a recast. I'm just sad that they're not going that way. I think the Elongated Man is a, a very good character. Uh, I have several stories I can recommend to you if you've uh, not been exposed to him, but he's just a really, really neat character and has been done wrong uh, so many times uh, in the comic books in recent years. So to see that happen, is, it's disappointing as a DC fan. All right, Chris, what is your nerd news story for this week? Um, the nerd world, uh, as of the time we're recording this, last night the nerd world lost an icon. Uh, actor Chadwick Boseman passed away at age 43 from stage 4 colon cancer, um, which, from what I read... And, you know, I could speak for myself. No one knew that he was even fighting this. Um, it took me completely by surprise. I thought it was a hoax. I immediately went to Google and, and you know, checked multiple sources, multiple outlets. Um, this one really hurts for me. Um, 
he inspired so many people around the world, young and old. Um, what Black Panther um, meant to so many people, what the world of Wakanda um, meant for so many people. Um, seeing a black superhero front and center in a solo film, not as a team up, not as um, a part of a larger roster, just as, you know, like a supporting character, but as an entirely black led cast was so monumental. Um, and it is something as wildly popular as the MCU. Um, it meant so much. Um, you know, as a father of biracial children that really meant a lot for my kids even you know at three and four when the film came out like they were instantly the black panther and you couldn't tell them otherwise um and like some of their first words were wakanda forever so um and from what from all accounts that i've read of his interactions with people he was truly like the embodiment of what it meant to be like royalty like he was truly royal and kind to everyone that he came into contact with always showing, you know, kindness and, and empathy towards others, um, even just fans, like, off the street. Um, he's one of those actors, I feel, that you remember where you were the first time that you saw them on screen. I remember exactly where I was sitting in my home when I saw 42, the Jackie Robinson story, for the first time. I remember exactly where I was seated in the theater when I saw Black Panther, when I saw him in Civil War. I remember exactly where I was sitting. It was just one of those magnetic performances each and every time he was on screen. And and the simple fact that he filmed seven movies since 2016. He did stunts. He did the press junkets um, for four years, all while fighting for his life with stage four colon cancer. is just out of this mind, uh, out of this world to me. I, ca I cannot fathom it. Um, and the fact that no one ever knew is a testament to his character and that he's truly a king. So... Um, I don't want to be like overly morbid or sad or everything, but um, I think one of the main things about this show uh, and this podcast is that we want to be as authentic as possible and share our authenticity to the world and put it out there in the ethos. And I would be remiss if I did not say thank you to Chadwick Boseman for what he's meant for me, for my family, for, you know, millions of people around the world for his work. Yeah, Chris, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't know what to say to this. The guy was just a fantastic actor. I loved him as T'Challa in Black Panther. I loved him as Jackie Robinson in 42. Um, the guy was a talent and by all accounts, just a great human being. So I mourn the loss for his family and for the nerd community at large. He was an inspiration to so many people. This is literally the least important thing right now. But given how inspirational Black Panther and his role uh, in that movie has been. I really hope that Marvel finds a way to continue on in some way to, to pay tribute to what he's established with his work, um, perhaps in some sort of Wakanda movie or maybe having Shuri become the new Black Panther. The world is already a little less bright without Chadwick Boseman in it. I hope Marvel can keep that spirit that he established with those movies uh, alive somehow going forward. That's my hope as well. And I think Leticia White, um, is the perfect person to carry that forward. Seeing her as Shuri, um, you know, for my for my daughters to see a girl be the smartest person probably in the MCU, um, you know, smarter than Bruce Banner, smarter than Tony Stark. Um, you know, the, I'll never forget that scene in Infinity War where she just, like, quizzically looks at Bruce Banner and says, why don't you do this and this and this to, to save Vision? And he says, because we didn't think of it? 
So I think that would be a wonderful way to, to carry on this legacy. Um, so again, our thoughts and condolences to the Bozeman family um, and to the nerd world at large as um, Wakanda forever. They'll never be able to take that away from us, you know, not even death. So um, Wakanda forever, nerds. Uh, and when we come back from this first break, we are going to talk about uh, our DC fandom reactions. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are back here on the Nerd by Word. DC fandom set the world on fire last weekend, um, and we are here to break it down itemize we have an itemized list bulleted list of the big reveals uh the big trailers and um all the news that was shared last weekend and our reactions to them dave first up the much talked about the most probably the most buzzed about thing in the dc fan world uh, over the past several years, the Snyder Cut first look, what was revealed. What were your thoughts as our big DC guy? So Zack Snyder revealed a trailer for his Snyder Cut of Justice League. He famously, of course, had to leave the movie during production due to a family tragedy. Joss Whedon came in, was brought in to finish and quote-unquote fix the movie, uh, did some extensive reshoots, and we ended up with a mediocre at best uh, theatrical release. And now, of course, uh, thanks to fan outcry, Zack Snyder has a chance to uh, complete his vision of the movie. Now, we need to first of all, I think, after DC fandom, stop pretending that what we're about to get is in any way, shape, or form what Snyder would have actually released into the theater had he finished a movie. At fandom, he announced that his cut would be divided into four one-hour chapters. There is no way that would have been released into theaters. This is an entirely different thing than what his theatrical, theatrical cut may have been. That's really where we need to start. This is not Snyder's Justice League movie. This is Snyder's miniseries made after the fact. Now, after watching the trailer, are there things I like? Absolutely. Based on the trailer, there will be a lot more story uh, for Cyborg and The Flash, which I'm totally into. Uh, the movie seems to have gone through some color corrections as the shots that appear to take place during the finale don't feature that red sky color scheme. I never really liked that much either, so I'm glad that's gone. I'm really excited to finally see Kiersey Clement's take on Iris West. I was very excited for those shots in the trailer. But the trailer also showed me some stuff that didn't get me excited. First off, the music chosen for the trailer came across as a complete mistake. Hallelujah was famously used in Snyder's Watchmen during an intimate scene between Night Owl and Silk Spectre, and it felt out of place there too. It came across as comical. I remember seeing it in the theater and the audience was laughing at it. Here, it, it comes across almost as pretentious. Hallelujah, Snyder is here to save us, apparently. The shots of Darkseid left a lot to be desired too. The CGI looks unfinished. I hope they're still working on it. The effect does not favorably compare, for example, to Marvel's Thanos, who looks like a fully realized character. I want to see Darkseid, but I want to see him done right, not haphazardly. And yeah, I know a lot of fans were hoping for Superman's black suit. And sure enough, there's a shot of it in the trailer. But here, that doesn't seem quite right either. In the comics, Superman was wearing the black suit while he was in suspended animation. 
being healed after his supposed death. And when he awakens, he has to spring into action immediately. He has no time to change. Here, it seems like he had time to custom fit a cape to the suit. Uh, unless there's a good in-story reason for the black suit, it comes across as fan y at best. What else has kind of left a sour taste in my mouth is Snyder's recent interactions with fans uh, of the theatrical cut on Twitter. Twitter user Scott Mendelson posted, uh, and I quote here, So that trailer for the Snyder Cut of Justice League looks like the same movie. Lots of deleted scenes from the marketing campaign, but otherwise it looks like alternate takes of existing scenes. And Snyder's response was pretty tone-deaf. He retweeted it and said, You said you enjoyed the theatrical cut of Justice League like you enjoy your Saturday morning cartoons. Well, this is made for grown-ups, so you're not in the demographic. Not in the demographic? People are not allowed to enjoy both Saturday morning cartoons and more grown-up fare. Also, your Justice League movie is for grown-ups? I mean, these are iconic comic book characters that have action figures for kids. How far do you want to push this into grown-up territory? What kind of movie is Snyder trying to make here? In short, I'll watch, but my opinion pretty much remains unchanged from our first episode. My enthusiasm is tempered by a whole bunch of different things. Shoddy-looking CGI, Snyder's past efforts, the attitude of a small group of fans, and now, to some extent, Snyder himself, who are taking themselves and this alternate cut entirely too serious. When it's released, if it's the best thing I've ever seen, I will totally admit that, but it's just very difficult to see that right now. Chris, what are your thoughts on Justice League, the Snyder Cut? First and foremost, um, we are both adults. Um, and we both enjoy Saturday morning cartoons like Animaniacs. We just did a story on Animaniacs. We also love PG-13 and rated R superhero films. It's not exclusive in our tastes. So we, we're both demographics, bud. Um, if you want a great reaction to that on social media, check out our friend, uh, writer Brian Q. Miller on Twitter. He did a thread of Justice League toys for adults in all caps. So that's you know, a great chuckle. Um, so I kind of like watched the trailer again today and then like paused with each reaction. So here are like the notes that I have. Uh, first and foremost, the music choice is incredibly odd. Um, you have one of the most famous and probably for honest, I love the song, but probably one of the most overly used songs in television and film. Um, totally from Shrek to American Idol to, you know, all the thousand times you've heard Leonard Cohen's, you know, Hallelujah covered by different people. Also, like, the choice of the cover. It's a very, I'm not sure who the artist is that is, you know, recording this, but it is a very distinctive, very distinctively different cover of the song. Um, Almost like a scratchy sound, like he has kind of a scratchy voice going on. It's not bad, necessarily. Yeah, yeah but... it's just really odd uh, as a choice. Um, and, you know, as a person, I think our first episode, we referenced the theme music to our shows and games about five or six times. So, you know, music is an incredibly powerful thing. Um, you know, my wife was was watching a show that you're going to recommend here later on in the show. and And she was watching it beside of me. And I could hear the music choice, and I was like, oh, this is a love scene. I can tell by the music. You know, music is highly influential. When you start off with that, it's just really strange for me. Um, I also know that Zack Snyder never... Chris, am I the only one who noticed that the the, the chorus, the big hallelujahs, uh, kicked in right as Aquaman was taking his shirt off? 
Was I the only one to notice that? Because that was a little odd. I mean, there are there are many there are many DC fans who would say hallelujah at that point, but <laughs> <laughs> but um but yeah, so uh, the one thing that Zack Snyder bless him, he does not bury the lead at all. Dark side is the very first scene. It's right there. In all of its, as, as you said, PS2 glory, um, <laughs> you know, right out of the gate. Um, apparently Cyborg's dad is going to die in this movie. You know, there's, you know, very much a little room for interpretation as he is completely, like, vaporized in the trailer. Um, woohoo for Iris West. Like, that looks exciting. I love it. Um, I, you know, in the, in the you know, cancel culture that we, you know, just exist in now. Ezra Miller, every time I see him on screen, I can't help but, you know, feel differently than I did a few years ago with the um, unfortunate incident with the fan. Um, but Iris West is there. That's cool. Um, it reaffirms for me the pitch perfect casting of Gal Gadot as Wonder Woman um, and Jason Momoa. They were the best uh, as Aquaman. They're the best parts of the trailer for me. Um I'm super excited for more Cyborg. I said this in our very first episode. I love um, Ray Fisher's, um, you know, Cyborg. I got his name right that time, right? Ray Fisher? That's the actor's name? Okay, good. Yeah. Uh, I love Cyborg as a character, and I loved his portrayal in Justice League, even, you know, the Whedon cut or whatever you want to call it. But those football scenes mean absolutely nothing. Like, they're just anonymous football players with helmets, you can't notice that any of them are cyborg. So unless you like know a lot about that character, you know that he's a former football player, that's going to fall flat for you. Um, a lot of DC fanboys online are like praising the Steppenwolf redesign. I thought it was still pretty meh. Like I was not impressed by the redesign that much. I mean, when, you know... The original one from the theatrical release was pretty awful, um, and they didn't like you know set the world on fire in their redesign. Um, you know, Chris, I think one of the things that we're, we have to face when it comes to creature designs like that and alien designs in Snyder's movies is that if you take them all and put them next to each other, they all look identical. If you take Darkseid and Doomsday and Steppenwolf and even a brief shot of the Sod in this trailer, they all look like these wrinkly gray-skinned aliens. There's very little, you know, variety to them. And, and coming from a, a, a world of, of a lot of different colors and primary colors and color schemes like that, to basically take all these alien creatures and blend them together and make them all look identical, that's really the problem. I mean, Steppenwolf is nondescript. He just blends in with all the other designs. And you need look no, you know, for no further proof for your point, then I didn't even realize that Steppenwolf was in the trailer the first time I watched it. I thought it was the same person. Like, I thought it was the same villain. Um, so I am interested to see what he does with Superman. Um, you know, like, based on my recent, you know, you know, interest you know, being peaked in the character, I'm interested to see what they do there. Um, I still can't see Amy Adams as Lois Lane. It's been how many films? It's she's not Lois Lane for me. Um, but I am interested to see what they do. Like any more Superman, at least it gives us hope that it's you know 
hope pun intended, but like it's something to do. Um, and then probably one of the most, um, I don't know, maybe, maybe I'm against the grain here. Maybe this is a hot take for me. It underlines and emphasizes my feelings on Ben Affleck as Batman as Batfleck. My initial feelings on him as Batman is he's a great Batman. Like I really enjoy him as Batman he falls flat when it comes to the Bruce Wayne side for me. Like that really supposed to be like, oh my God line there at the last part of the trailer. Those are nice words, but the delivery of them by Ed Ben Affleck, I'm just like, okay. Like, so um, that's how I feel about it. Like I'm kind of okay on Batfleck. Like in costume, I think he's great, fantastic. But, you know, outside of the cape and cowl, I'm kind of meh on him. Yeah, I can see that. So next up, we have uh, another trailer. We got the uh, final trailer for Wonder Woman 1984, the sequel to director Patty Jenkins' Wonder Woman movie from a few years ago, Once a Skin, starring uh, Gal Gadot as Diana of Themyscira. So, Chris, what was your reaction to this trailer? Um, and again, I did the same thing with each one of these trailers, just kind of like an itemized list as I went along. I feel like, especially that great opening line, um, this is such an inspirational character. And I love Patty Jenkins' um, vision with these films, like what she's going for, inspiring girls and boys, you know, from around the world. Like, you know, the power is within you and you're born for, you know, such greatness. It's such, such an inspiration. Um I'm interested to see how they do the whole period piece aspect. I'm a little leery of it. Um, it looks okay based on what I've seen. There's some, you know, great humor, you know, points in the trailers that I've seen so far. But I'm really worried that it'll get cheesy or campy if they're not careful. Um, I am so freaking pumped for Pedro Pascal. Like, I cannot. That's probably what I'm most excited for about this movie. I know some people are like, cheetah, cheetah, cheetah. Or like 1984, I love the 80s, but I am all about Pedro Pascal. Um, I know nothing about his character, so like this is all new for me. Um, I think he's one of the most talented actors that I've seen in recent years. I love his work as um, you know, Din Djarin on The Mandalorian. Um, Prince Oberyn on Game of Thrones was one of my absolute favorite characters. When he died... You know, basically, Dave, you're not a Game of Thrones person yet. You haven't, I haven't talked you into that yet. But, um, spoiler alert, basically everybody dies in Game of Thrones, so it's not really a spoiler. Everybody dies. But when Prince Oberyn was killed, like, it was one of the few deaths in Game of Thrones that I actually teared up for. Like, I loved him. Like, so I'm super excited for Pedro Pascal, um, you know, on screen. Um, I'm really intrigued to see more of Christian Wig in a serious role. Um, I was shocked when I heard of her uh, initial casting. I was like, really? Like, SNL Kristen Wiig. Like, Bridesmaids Kristen Wiig. The same one? Um, she's a comedic genius. Like, one of the best of our generation from Saturday Night Live. Um, and I was pleasantly surprised by what I saw in the trailer. Like, I bought it. Like, so many times you have you know, comedic actors go serious and it does not work. Like, okay, go back to trying to make me laugh. It doesn't work, but, but it, it worked here. Um, and I was super interested, you know, was it a little derivative of previous storylines of like the forgotten about nerd, uh, and, you know, in films that you've seen before? Sure. But like the way that she brought it, even in the, the limited 
you know, exposure that we saw uh, in the trailer. I, I was intrigued by it. I love the full cheetah look. I thought it was super cool. Like I was worried. Um, I saw the Barbie doll in stores and I was like, I don't know about this, but like the way it came across on the screen, it looked really, really cool. And you know, this one goes out to my Trek fandom. Chris Pine is absolutely magical. And I really miss Kelvin Star Trek films because I just, sure. That's supposed to be Steve Trevor. I saw James Tiberius Kirk, like, on screen there. So I really, really miss those Star Trek films. Dave, what do you think? Well, I'll echo that I miss those Star Trek films, first of all. But yeah, this trailer had the exact opposite effect on me compared to the Snyder Cut trailer. I'm actually really, really psyched for this movie, and I have been for a while. I was already dying to see it, and the new footage has only reinforced that impression. Gadot owns Wonder Woman. Casting her probably was the best thing that Snyder ever did for the DC movie universe. She's fantastic. And I'm very excited to see where things go for her in this movie. And I have to agree with you that I'm cautiously optimistic about Kristen Wiig as Cheetah. That friendship gone bad between her and Wonder Woman have led to some of my favorite Wonder Woman comic book moments. So if they can capture that, then I'm really all in. Uh, and the mystery of Chris Pine's return as Steve Trevor is also intriguing. Uh, it begs the question if he gets to stick around at the end or if he has to once again be sacrificed for the greater good. It's smart marketing to let us know he'll be back, but at the same time build up a mystery as to the how and why. There's a lot of story to be told there, I think. The only thing that really had me w worried is actually, and you referenced this, the, the footage at the end of the full cheetah look. The look is great. But I noticed right away that they are once again setting the big fight between these two characters at night. And I've noticed over the years, as many other uh, moviegoers have, that oftentimes they use darker settings like nighttime scenes as a way of hiding CGI problems. Um, very famously, the first Hulk movie did all those scenes with the, with the Hulk dogs in the dark to try to hide that the CGI wasn't very good. Now, everything that was in the trailer looked fine. Um, but I'm hoping that they're very careful with that, and, and because the effects really have seemed to have been sort of the weak point of DC movies, um, to the point where sometimes they take you right out of the story. Even Aquaman, as good as that movie was, had some CGI problems in some scenes. So I just want Warner to give this movie the love and care it deserves, because it looks like it can be absolutely fantastic. Yeah, that was um, my initial... Um issues with the first wonder woman film that was like like the one thing that i was like yeah about like 98 percent of the film that i loved the only thing that i didn't really vibe with was like the last fight scene with aries and also if we're being honest um i don't want to typecast anyone but it was hard to see remus lupin as aries the god of war so um my harry potter fandom you know maybe maybe colored that a bit as well now dave you get first dibs on my favorite thing that happened during DC fandom, the Batman. Dude, I can't even with this trailer. I, I can't even. I've probably watched this trailer about 20 times at this point, trying to pick up on as many of the subtleties as possible. I mean, I know this movie is still shooting. Uh, they had to stop because of COVID. And so this is like basically a cut together of the early footage that they've gotten the film so far. But I was impressed. First of all, Batman himself. I like it. 
I like the whole vibe they're going for. Uh, the suit has a great vibe, even though it's different from any of the suits that came before. I'm surprisingly digging Robert Pattinson's look in the trailer. You would think the emo Peter Parker haircut he sports from Spider-Man 3 in the trailer would be a turnoff, but somehow Pattinson makes it work. And if any hero deserves to be considered a little emo, I'd say Batman is at the top of the list. The brief shots of Catwoman were really intriguing. I think Zoe Kravitz was a smart casting choice. And in those brief shots in the trailer, she looks like she's definitely pulling off the part, at least visually. I'm very interested to see her actual acting in the role. Jeffrey Wright was the right, no pun intended, <laughs> casting choice for Jim Gordon. He stepped onto the scene at the beginning of the trailer and I turned to my wife and I said, look, it's Jim Gordon. Like, he embodies Gordon from the word go. It was perfect casting. And then we have the Riddler as the overarching villain, which is... Ah, uh, the Riddler as a serious Batman villain. Let's just forget about Jim Carrey hamming it up in, in you know, Batman Forever and just really... Hey, hey, whoa, 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 whoa. Oh, oh, I'll, I'll go there. The Riddler in the comic <laughs> books is such a great villain. It's his intelligence and how he challenges Batman intellectually rather than physically. It gives me great hope that this movie will actually finally feature Batman doing some detective work. He's the world's greatest detective, and every time we get a major major motion picture with him, they gloss over that aspect for more punchy-punchy, kicky-kicky, fighty-fighty scenes. This aspect of the character should not be neglected. And so, yes, infuse this movie with a little detective noir. I, I, I want that for Batman. It fits the character perfectly, and it's been done so well in the past in the comic books. And the brief shots of Colin Farrell as the Penguin were sublime. He's completely unrecognizable. Like, he looks like the Penguin from the comic books. Uh, not the over-the-top fish-eating monster of Danny DeVito, but this, this really smart uh, crime lord. So I'm really excited for everything that they, they're doing here. The coup de grace, though, of this trailer is the moment when Batman beats down that thug with zero mercy and pro proclaims, I am vengeance. Like, it's it's so good. I bought the whole scene, hook, line, and sinker. I had goosebumps. I was unsure, like many fans, uh, about getting another Batman movie and about getting one now with uh, Robert Pattinson as Batman, who was uh, so famous, basically, for being uh, uh, an actor in the Twilight movies. But... You know, although I really want some other DC characters to get a chance to shine on the big screen, this take on the character seems different enough, from what we've seen now with this trailer, to justify its existence as a different take on Batman on the big screen. What was your reaction, Chris? So I watch this trailer two to three times a day. Anytime that work gets too much, I just take a break from grading papers uh, in the software that sometimes you can log into and can't log into. Uh, you know, in being a public school teacher in a pandemic. Um, anytime that the world gets too much, I put on this trailer. And it makes me feel good. It fills me with all of the nerd fuel that I need. So I at least watch it two to three times a day. In contrast to the Snyder Cut, it is perfection with regards to the musical choice. The use of Kurt Cobain's haunting voice throughout and then as the music builds and it reaches like the climax as the action reach like whoever crafted this trailer it is amazing considering the fact that they're having to use less than 100 percent of of the footage that they have 
it's a dark noir detective thriller it's everything that i wanted gotham the show to be but wasn't and you know we lost all of that and you know as you said the world's greatest detective finally gets to be a detective um and you know the more i sit and reflect on this once we all stop giggling about the memes and about twilight robert pattinson is a really talented actor um in fact once I wade through all of the angst that I have towards those movies due to Kristen Stewart's lack of acting, um, Taylor Lautner just taking his shirt off, you know, inexplicably for, you know, girls to ooh and awe about. Robert Pattinson was one of the few strengths of that film franchise, of at least what I saw of it. He was the only one. He was, he was, um, Michael Fassbender in the X-Men films of recent years, he was the only one that showed up to work. Like, he was the only one that was trying to act. So, you know, that helps me get through, like, the whole meme-worthy part of it and, like, the butt end of the joke. Um, I totally forgot that Paul Dano was cast as the Riddler. Like, there was so much awesome casting news coming out. Colin Farrell... Uh, is the penguin, who, as you said, is just great. Um, there is a great meme out there. Like he looks like Richard Kind. You could have saved money on makeup and and all that time just cast Richard Kind. <laughs> Although Richard Kind, you know, bless his heart, he's very funny. He's great on Curb Your Enthusiasm. Um, he's great on Spin City, but he is not like you know this type of actor that we need for this role here. Um, Zoe Kravitz is like perfect, pitch perfect for uh, you know. Catwoman, at least what we've seen so far, and she's got like those eyes that are just magnetic. That if I talk too much more, uh, I'm gonna get in some in the doghouse, you know. So I'm gonna stop talking about it, like how much I enjoy Zoe Kravitz's casting. Um, but like with all of that, Paul Dano, if you've never seen um, There Will Be Blood, is like one of the few things that I've seen him in, and that's all you need to see for Paul Dano's work. Um, I believe he's also in Little Miss Sunshine. I think that's him in there. It's been years since I've seen it, but like, it's it's perfect. It's perfect. And then you you hit the nail on the head. Jeffrey Wright, everything that he does is amazing. I'm already sold. From the moment that he came on the screen, he held that little tiny flashlight up. I'm like, oh my god, that's Jim Gordon. Like that's Jim. Hey Jim, that's Jim Gordon. I need to go back. It, it reminds me. I need to go back and finish uh, Westworld. He's so fantastic in that show. It's so great. And then you have the beat down heard around the world. Like the best part of that scene is like when you think he's done, he goes in for like three or four more punches. It's like, ah, like the adrenaline just like oozes out of your eyeballs. And then like the one final thing um, that I'm really interested to see. And one of the, the casting choices that really made me say, Hmm, not immediately celebrate like I did some of the others that I mentioned. The one that I was most intrigued about was Andy Serkis as Alfred. And I'm really even more intrigued now that I heard his voice. And I think that was, maybe it was, a, you know, a distinctive choice that they didn't put him in there. Maybe they don't have the footage necessary yet. But I'm interested to see what Andy Serkis, what Ulysses Claw, what Gollum, what uh, the guy from Planet of the Apes, Caesar you know, is going to do as Alfred Pennyworth. So, um, but it sounds good so far. And, you know, I can't say enough about this trailer. It 
it's everything that I ever wanted this movie to be. And and to your point about this being a different Batman than we'd ever, we've ever seen, I'm pretty sure that they confirmed, you know, during the reveal that this is Earth 2 Batman. So this is, you know, something different than what we've seen. And, you know, I had some discussions with friends who much prefer Batfleck and the big muscly Batman and punchy, punchy, kicky, kicky, because they grew up with, with Frank Miller's, you know, you know, Dark Knight and Dark Knight Returns and all of that. So they see big pectorals the size of you know pine trees you know they they see that's batman right there man but like this is such an interesting take and like dealing with the grief of his parents death and all of the things that we know you know about bruce wayne's backstory it's just a different you know path to take i always i always say that like you know when something happens in your life you're you know basic every every momentous event in your life leads you to a fork in the road you take one path or you take the other and like this is a path that, like, seemingly this Bruce Wayne has taken that is very, very different and very, very interesting to me. Yeah, I totally agree. And I will say that I think that that difference in, like, punchy, punchy Batman versus, you know, cerebral detective work Batman, I think a lot, my preference comes ultimately still from my love of Batman the Animated Series, which, you know, the work on that series, they never ever neglected the detective portion of who Batman was. So many of the stories revolved around him trying to solve a mystery. And and I, I think that's my abiding love for that aspect of the character. And to see movies time and time again, again come and go, not even touching that aspect of the character, it always felt like something was missing. I mean, making a, mo- making a movie of Batman that's not a detective is like making a movie about Superman and he doesn't inspire hope. I mean, like, that's one of my favorite things about the Arkham games. When I first fired those up, what, 10, 11 years ago? Like, that was one of the first things, like, when you get through the tutorial phase is like, okay, like, you're going to be a detective now. And you have, like, this specific view. You go into detective mode. I'm like, this is awesome. So to see that, you know, being, you know, true, you know, justice, you know, on the screen is really, really exciting. Yeah, I totally agree. All right, Chris, you got first dibs on something I got some really strong feelings about. James Gunn's, I don't know, sequel, reboot, reimagining of The Suicide Squad. Yeah, I think the only difference is they added the in front of it. So instead of Suicide Squad, it's the Suicide Squad. But, you know, I'm so excited for this. Like, James Gunn is just awesome. Like, everything, you know, Guardians remains one of my favorite MCU films, and it's the first movie that you and I saw together in theater, and, like, there were so many moments in, you know, Guardians where we just turned around and looked at each other and just said, dude, like, (laughs) dude, like, that's basically our reaction to that movie, and, you know, like, he gets to do it again with a blank canvas, Um, and from my perspective, you know, as a very casual DC fan, I don't know half of these characters like so you know very similar in the way that it was with guardians it's i'm introduced in a completely new world so um i'm very 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 excited about that and so it wasn't like a full trailer but like it was kind of like behind the scenes type of look if you haven't checked it out go hit up youtube it's not a trailer per se but it's like some behind the scenes stuff on what he's doing and the overarching thing my biggest reaction to this project is the cast is out of this world out of this galaxy out of this universe i don't know how he got these many a-list awesome people idris elba is awesome like 
and he, you forget that he's in the movie. And my personal favorite, we've talked about him before, Peter Capaldi is in this movie, and I'm super stoked because it's a character I've never heard of. Uh, David Destelmachian as the polka dot man. Like, what the crap? <laughs> like, that sounds awesome. It's so and good. You know, Margot Robbie, um, who, like, from the 10 minutes that I watched of the first Suicide Squad film and turned it off immediately, she seemed pretty great and in, in that role. Um, and I've heard good things. I haven't watched Birds of Prey yet. I'm waiting for a, a date night with my wife uh, to watch that on HBO Max. But uh, I've heard great things. So I'm super excited for this movie. And, and the cast is the number one thing that I just can't wait to see come to fruition. Yeah, I'll tell you what, what really hit me in watching that. And there's only brief flashes of it in, this, in the footage. But, ladies and gentle nerds, Harley Quinn is wearing an outfit that is not over-sexualized or comes across as misplaced for the first time in any of her movie appearances so far. I love this character. I love the Harley Quinn character. And I love Margot Robbie's performance. But visually, there have been a lot of problems with her depiction on the big screen. The, the shots in this footage showing Harley uh, with an actual decent costume. I'd still prefer the Jester look. I'm a, I'm a little bit of an old school guy. I like her original look best. But this is a huge step in the right direction. What I love most about the behind-the-scenes look uh, director James Gunn brought to Fandome is the cast. I totally agree with you. How can this cast be any better or more expansive? There are so many interesting characters here. And the fact that he has included so many characters already makes it very clear. There is no way he can focus on all of these characters in the time he has in, a, in one movie. We're getting a proper Suicide Squad. Half of these people will be dead by the halfway mark of this movie. These people will not survive. The cast is just too big not to see a bunch of them die as we go. And that's something that was a big misstep in the first one. It was the, the Suicide Squad part was very half-hearted. You had one character, I think Slipknot, that showed up, was like in 30 seconds of footage and then unceremoniously died. And that was it. Nothing else happened to these characters. So Gunn has a real knack for taking more obscure characters like Groot and Rocket Raccoon and making them sing on the big screen. And I can't wait to see him do something like that with Polka Dot Man. I never thought I would see the day that Polka Dot Man is going to be on the big screen. It blows my mind. So, you know, although we didn't get a proper trailer trailer here, what we did get was a look at a movie that I'm actually really excited to see. I think it can right the ship of the disappointing first Suicide Squad movie. And I'm really optimistic that James Gunn can make this work. Yeah, I'm super excited about this. Um, you know, there's not a lot that we were seeing that was, you know, actual footage or anything. So there's not a lot that we can comment on other than we're just super excited for this. Now, you think that was, you know, very, very little that we could talk about. Um, we have one coming up that is even less, Dave. Ah, yeah. So I don't know how to feel about this one. Ah, so DC nerd time, okay? We're talking about Black Adam. Black Adam is a character from the Captain Marvel, uh, I'm sorry, Shazam comics. He's traditionally a Shazam villain, someone who was granted power by the wizard Shazam, just like Billy Batson. He abuses that power and is locked away for thousands of years. Then he escapes and he clashes with the wizard and his new champion, which is, of course, Billy Batson. Now, in more recent years in the comic books, there have been efforts to make him more of an anti-hero than an outright villain. Somebody who's trying to do the right thing, but he does so in extremely violent ways. Think Venom as the lethal protector or the Punisher, something like that. 
And, you know, I've never really felt great about that. I think Black Adam always worked best as a Shazam villain, uh, with the exception probably of his depiction in uh, the series 52, where he has a really interesting arc. Uh, this movie has been in development for like 10 years or something, still has not filmed a single second, and the so-called trailer they released was essentially a string of concept art with some narration. Now, there is some smart things going on here. First of all, casting Dwayne Johnson, The Rock, as Black Adam is inspired. Uh, based on what Black Adam looks like in the comic books, I can totally see this. He's the perfect choice, really, for Black Adam. His voice, his physicality, all lent themselves to this character. And including the Justice Society in some capacity is also smart, although it seems pretty limited based on the fact that they only mention four characters, and traditionally the Justice Society is truly a society, uh, a whole bunch of different superheroes. There was a time uh, in the comics when Black Adam tried the hero thing and joined the Justice Society for a while, and I could see that happening here um, as well. I guess I'm just disappointed that we continue to try to take popular villains and turn them into anti-heroes. Venom, to me, has always worked better as a Spider-Man villain than some kind of lethal protector. And Black Adam has never worked better than when he was a Shazam villain. Let villains be villains. I would much rather see Dwayne Johnson as Black Adam clashing with Shazam in his next movie. Uh, that would be fantastic. That's really where the character belongs. At this point, there's so little that we have to go on, I'm kind of in wait-and-see mode when it comes to this movie. It'll have to convince me that a Black Adam anti-hero is superior to a villain Black Adam, and that's a really tall order. Yeah, I feel the exact same way, and I believe it was our third episode where things that we're not nerdy about or, or mainstream things that we don't vibe with, and, and this was one of my points. Like, I'm not a big anti-hero person. Now, Black Adam is a particular character. He's one of my favorite um, characters to use on the Injustice games. Like, I, I really like those interesting storylines um, where he does typically align with the villains, um, but then he can be swayed to go different directions. Um, I'm, I'm a huge history nerd. We both are. So, like, even, like, the Egyptology, you know, like, is it a, is it, it's not Egypt, it's Kondok, right? Conduct, yeah, it's a it's it's a uh, it's a fictional country, and at one point in the comic books, he actually does the Doctor Doom thing and becomes the ruler of Conduct, modern day Conduct. Okay, so like an allegory, as you will, towards you know like Egypt and that that entire culture is super exactly, super yeah. super interesting to me. Um, that being said, you know the Rock. Okay. Like, I'm The Rock's number one fan. Like, when I was growing up in the Attitude area of, you know, WWF, WWE Wrestling, like, he was my favorite. So I'm The Rock's number one fan. But, like, he's also, admittedly, the busiest person in Hollywood. Like, he's, every day he's filming some other different movie. So just, you know, I don't know when this is. I, I, I wrote down that it seems like the movie that'll never begin. Something Sometimes you have some things that'll never end. This one never gets started. It's been in development since, I think, 2014 or something like that so um yeah um i would love to see it but i would love to see you know anything get started you know get started at least um but yeah i'm super excited about it but i just want it to start um on that along those same lines in the same character family dave we got some shazam news 
Yeah, Shazam! Fury of the Gods. That's literally all we have. <laughs> so we have a title, we have a release year of 2022, and we have not even official, we have an unofficial poster, and that's it. Now, I'm glad they announced the movie, but there's not a whole lot here to sink our teeth into or really react to. We don't know what which gods are furious and why, uh, so there's there's not a lot to talk about. I will say that I adored the first movie, Warts and All. The themes of family, foster care, adoption, all of these things rang really real and true. And I loved what the movie had to say about family. The casting was smart too. I love Zachary Levi, even since his uh, TV days on Chuck, one of my all-time favorite shows. So unless they end up showing me something I'm not enthusiastic about, as of right now, I'm looking forward to it, just based on the fact that I really, really loved the first one. But... We have a title and a release here, and that's it. So, Chris, what are your thoughts? Yeah, that's basically it. I loved everything about the first film, the central theme of, of, of family, and, you know, it's not necessarily tied to biology. I've previously, you know, spoken about my family dynamic and how it's non-traditional. Um, I also, like, one of the most powerful, you know, scenes in the film was when he meets his biological mother, and, you know, she, like, left him. Like, that's so you know, poignant and it's so formative and, you know, it just proves that, you know, you know, families comes, you know, families come in all shapes and sizes and it doesn't have to be a biological thing. It's, it's a really, really poignant and beautiful scene. Um, Zachary Levi is just freaking awesome. Like what, what else can you say about the guy? He's freaking awesome. And nobody loves the Shazam movie more than he does. Like how can you not, it's like infectious, his enthusiasm for this. So um, I'm excited to see where they go from here, but, you know, I got. I don't really have much else to say because they didn't show us anything. Um, similarly, we didn't get much about Aquaman two, but what did we get, Dave? Well, <laughs> actually, less information. <laughs> we 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 don't have a we ha don't have a title or even a fan post or anything. We know there's a sequel. We know that director James Wan is uh, co-writing it, and 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 that's about it. Uh, now, the director did say at the panel, which really was more him reminiscing about making the first one. He said, and I quote, I think the second one is a little bit more serious, a little bit more relevant in the world we are living today. I think that's where it wants to go. But you know what? That could really mean any number of things because the world we are living in today is, well, you know, really messed up and there's all sorts of weird stuff happening. And so which one of those things he's trying to latch onto for the sequel is really hard to predict. So... Uh, is he going to be inspired by a particular comic book story or story arc? We don't know. He's a talented filmmaker, though. And again, I really enjoyed the first Aquaman movie, even you know, despite those few spots I've referenced previously with some questionable special effects. But the writing and acting both were really good, and I, I enjoyed it quite a bit. So here, too, I'm optimistic. Love the first one. Excited for part two, unless they show me something that makes me not excited. Yeah, um, I did like a Google search of Aquaman too. I did see that Patrick Wilson is returning as Orm Ocean Master. I don't know if that was previously announced or whatever, so I'm excited to see, you know, I'm intrigued to see where they go with that storyline. Um, I did see that James Wan said he was looking for the more grounded story, and he's bringing, quote, a little bit more of his scary sauce. Um, from what I understand, he has a background in horror. He loves that genre, and we got a little bit of that with the uh, the trench scene. I also found out um, that they are making a trench movie, uh, and that is in development about that whole world, so that's super interesting. And then I'm also interested to see what they do with the character of Mara, uh, 
you know, based on everything that's come to light with Amber Heard and her personal life and, you know, where we go from there. So I'm intrigued for the second film, but again, not a whole lot to go off of. Yeah, Chris, uh, I'm going to go ahead and give you first dips here on our first video game uh, announced, uh, Gotham Knights. What is your take on this particular trailer? Now, this is really, really interesting. We've talked about this in previous weeks uh, and previous episodes on the show um, about how the Flash film is going for this Batman, 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 Batman. And for the first time, we're getting a story of Gotham and the DC universe without Batman. So like, that was the first thing that really jumped out to me. Like it was like a, you know, real reversal in narrative there. Um, from, from what I understand by the trailer, um, and the gameplay walkthrough that I watched, um, from Patrick Redding, the creative director for the game is you choose which of the characters you play with. You can be, um, I'm assuming it's Damian Wayne. I feel like it's Damien Wayne. Did you get that? Is that Damien? It's it's very unclear. The fact that he's using a bow staff for fighting seems to indicate that it's actually a Tim Drake. Uh, so it's very difficult to really nail down which Robin this is. Yeah, I thought that too. But then I think Tim Drake was in the Arkham Knight game, and the character design looks completely different from this Robin. So it's really hard to They're tell. They're also not supposed um, to be in continuity. Uh, Gotham Knights is not in continuity with the Arkham games. Uh, so okay. it's very difficult to say at this point based on just the visuals right. they've given us. Okay, so the three characters that you get to choose from are Nightwing, um, presumably Dick Grayson, um, Robin, to be determined, and uh, Batgirl, which I would assume is Barbara Gordon. Um, they also have Red Hood in there. Oh, Red Hood, thank you. So a fourth character, I forgot about that one. My, my son's going to be very disappointed in me. He... he is Jason Todd, so he's going to be very, very disappointed in me. Um, but yeah, as I said, I watched a gameplay walkthrough. You can find that on YouTube. It's about seven minutes long. It's a pre-alpha walkthrough of the gameplay. Um, according to that video, uh, Patrick Redding, the creative director of the game, says that you can play the entire game either in solo by yourself or two-player co-op. So I'm interested to see if that's only an online co-op or if that is, you know, like in-person co-op you can play as well. That'd be interesting. Um, I was excited to see a Rene Montoya sighting um, in that gameplay uh, video. And they also said that as you level up and progress, the villains do as well. So that's something I've, I've found in a lot of games that's kind of anticlimactic, is you level up your character and the villains don't really go up with you. So then it's just like this 30-second beatdown of the boss and, you know, not really exciting. So, Dave, what are you thinking here? Initially watching this, I was worried. Now, the idea of Batman dying and his protégés uh, having to take over to protect Gotham, that's a great, great, great uh, premise. The trailer initially looked like some kind of online multiplayer squad-based game. Look, here's these four characters. It's these four characters. It almost looked like you'd be like four characters working together, online co-op. And I've mentioned previously that I have kind of an unhealthy disdain for online multiplayer games. I don't have a huge number of acquaintances who actually play video games, which means I'm usually stuck playing with toxic strangers. So I, initially watching that trailer, was I was not enthusiastic. But I've looked at the gameplay trailer since, and I've visited the website. And the description of the game on the website got my interest going again, because they describe it as an open-world action RPG set in the most dynamic and interactive Gotham City yet. 
In either solo play or with one other hero, patrol Gotham's five distinct boroughs and drop in on criminal activity wherever you find it. Now, you already said several magic words here. You said open world, you said action, and you said RPG, and now I'm there. Now, you give me a chance to play single player, I'm interested. I do wish they would have upped the variety of characters included. I don't know why they just focused on these four specific ones. Uh, maybe some DLC in the future to add additional characters. Uh, as per usual, I would have preferred to see Barbara Gordon as Oracle rather than Batgirl, somebody who's coordinating the team. It's sort of the voice in your ear. A Cassandra Kane or a Stephanie Brown Batgirl would have been fun additions. Uh, adding Batwoman, Huntress, Catwoman, Bluebird, and The Signal. These are all really good Bat Family characters. So I'm hoping at least we can you know, look forward to a DLC pack or something uh, that adds some additional characters. Uh, anyway, after an initial negative reaction to the trailer, I now have a lot of hope that this is going to be a really good single-player experience. So I'm, I'm ready for this one. All right, sticking with the video gaming world, we have Suicide Squad Kill the Justice League. Dave, what do you think about this one? Oh, I have some strong feelings here. So good news, it's Rocksteady. They're following up on their Batman Arkham game, so this is actually Rocksteady. They're really good. Uh, bad news, it's got online multiplayer. <laughs> I hope it's optional. They haven't given us a whole lot of details yet besides a cinematic trailer. Um, it's described as an open-world action-adventure shooter. I have hopes the gameplay will be fun, since the Arkham games are generally good. But, you know, the less said about Arkham Knight's Batmobile, the better in my book. That was probably the least um, fun thing that Rocksteady has done in the Batman games. Now, not to go on a rant, but here we are again, getting an evil Superman. Can we stop this, please? Even Batman v Superman played with that notion. It's becoming a tired trope to turn him evil. Can we just once have a Superman that's hopeful and morally good? Is there really no place for Superman's actual character in movies or video games anymore? Do we always have to alter him to try to make him relatable or turn him evil? Uh, even Injustice, the DC fighting game, is basically, look, Superman's bad now. Come on, make a Superman game where we can play as the good guy himself. Now, as far as, you know, the timing of this, I think it's really smart to make a Suicide Squad game that's probably going to come out in conjunction with uh, the Suicide Squad movie from James Gunn. So there's going to be uh, some interest there. The uh, voice acting seems really good. Unless my ears deceived me, Harley Quinn sounded like Tara Strong's version of the character. Now, she has a long history of voicing Harley Quinn at this point and is quite good at it. There's some good humor in the trailer as well. It seems to strike the right tone for a Suicide Squad story. But just the story is kind of a turnoff for me. It's just, okay, we gotta go and fight evil Superman. Uh, I'm interested, but my enthusiasm is tempered. Chris, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I've got a similar reaction. There were some positives and then some, oh god, here we go again. Um, I'm really um, interested by the opening scene where you see like Brainiac's like ship there so like does that pick up where injustice 2 left off or like at least that's like the impact that i that, you know i just just you know is symbolic as as that image is that's instantly what we made me think of um what iterations of the characters are these um it's just you know really really interesting like the character designs are completely different than any other game or films that i've seen before i did love the outcast music I'm a big music person, so hearing some outcasts is always okay with me. Uh, my uh, 
seeing zombies again is kind of blah. Like, zombies again. Um, the dialogue was pretty funny. Um, and then, you know, evil Superman. Here we go again. Yeah, it was also very interesting to see Captain Boomerang apparently now has super speed, which is not a part of that character at all. I understand why they made that choice from a gameplay perspective, but it seems like an odd change. So, I don't know. It's kind of hard to predict what this is going to be like until we know more about the gameplay. All right, that wraps up our DC Fandom Reactions. When we return from our final break, we're going to hit you with two more nerd commendations. All right, ladies and gents, we are back for our final segment of this episode. We are going for nerd commendations. Dave, you're going to hell, at least for your nerd commendation. What you got? Well, you're not the first one to tell me that, Chris, so uh, thanks a lot. <laughs> uh, so let's talk Lucifer on Netflix for a moment. Uh, this show has just released uh, the first half of its fifth season on Netflix, and it's it's good. Now, the show is based on characters created by Neil Gaiman and Sam Keith uh, for Vertigo Sandman, and eventually was spun off into its own Vertigo comic book, Lucifer. Um, although the show kind of takes a decidedly different direction than the inspiration behind it. goes sort of its own way. They're really two distinct entities. I wouldn't say that they really compare. Um, but they're both really good. Uh, the TV series follows Lucifer, the original fallen angel, who has become dissatisfied with his life in hell. He abandons his throne and moves to LA because, uh, you know, City of Angels, that makes perfect sense, where he leads sort of a hedonistic life as a nightclub owner until a murder takes place outside of his nightclub. And he meets an intriguing homicide detective named Chloe. And her, around her, he finds himself strangely vulnerable to physical harm. So to uncover this mystery of why that's possible, he becomes a crime-solving consultant. It seems like the most ridiculous thing that you can possibly come up with. The devil lives in L.A. and solves homicides with a police detective. But it just works. The show has a really rich, interesting mythology, fascinating characters. There's a constant forward momentum. And as a procedural, it's even quite good. The, the cases from week to week are interesting and, and really grab your attention. The acting is what really shines here, though, especially from series leads uh, Tom Ellis and Lauren German, who, by the way, has the best last name ever. Um, <laughs> So what I, I guess what I'm saying here is that this is a really binge-worthy show. Uh, I can see people getting hooked very easily on this if they've not been exposed to it before. Don't expect the same story as the comic book if you were a fan of the Lucifer comic from Vertigo. Uh, but as its own thing, the show is definitely worth checking out. The humor and the devilish puns alone are worth the price of admission. Yeah, I love this show. I love it. As I said, my wife was watching uh, season five as I was prepping for this show. Um, I've, it's basically like I, I love Sherlock. I love Sherlock Holmes. I love Elementary. I love a good detective show. And it's basically like Sher Sherlock with the devil. So it, it's really, really great. And as you said, the, the, the best part of the show is Tom Ellis. Uh, for me, uh, he's currently my favorite actor. Like it's the best thing I've seen uh, you know, recently on, on television or film. Um, I want to fan cast him in everything. We've got an episode coming up where we're going to like 
create our own, you know, film projects that we want to see and fan cast the roles of, of certain characters. And I basically just want to put Tom Ellis in every male lead. Um, I think I fan cast him as Gambit on social media. And I, I you add a little Cajun flair and I think he's pitch perfect as as uh, the Ragin Cajun. Um, it's such a cool reimagining of biblical stories that have been around for centuries that you've, you've heard time and again, um, if you've been exposed to it. So it's really, really interesting to see. Um, but yeah, I really, really like it and it's really witty and funny. And anytime that, you know, sarcasm is one of the, you know, selling points of a show, I'm, I'm hooked line and sinker. Yeah, I totally agree with you. It's just a great show. Highly recommend it. Now, Chris, you're taking me back to the X-Men yet again. Bring on your nerd commendation. I'm going to convert you one of these days. Um, I am recommending a crossover. Go, I mean, like, this is few and far between when you usually have comic book crossovers. But I'm recommending a comic book crossover uh, from 2010 called X-Men Second Coming. Uh, and, you know, insert the all the puns and innuendos that you want here. But it's really, really a great, fantastic crossover. Um it was written in 2010, as I mentioned, and um, it goes in between uh, the X-Books, uh, Uncanny X-Men, uh, New Mutants Volume 3, X-Men Legacy, and X-Factor, um, and then it has a couple of extra titles in there. You can find uh, reading order lists on the Marvel Unlimited. They have a specific event where it's like, read it in this order. Uh, comicbookreadingorders.com is also a great, fantastic website. If you're ever wanting to start like a run on something and it kind of dances around different titles like that, I highly recommend Comic Book Reading Orders. Um, I've used that for the Jason Aaron Thor run before as well. Um, so that's a great website. Again, that's comicbookreadingorders.com. Um, but the basic premise for this, um, and this is where X-Men continuity you know, comes to play, as it always does. But, you know, I'll give you the, the Cliff Notes version. Um, in 2005's um, House of M, Wanda Maximoff, we know her as Scarlet Witch, says no more mutants because she has like this mental, she goes crazy and she says no more mutants. And then you have millions of mutants just be depowered immediately. And you go from millions of mutants around the world to the mutant population being like 198. And basically they're, you know, waiting to, you know, become extinct. So you have, you know, a good... Uh, three to four years in X-Men continuity where, you know, they're, you know, circling the drain. Um, and then you have an event like in 2007 or 2008 called the Mutant Messiah, which the first new mutant birth takes place um, of Hope. Uh, her name is Hope. Um, and uh, so then you have the X-Men and then like all these anti-mutant hate groups go to Alaska and you know, all this stuff ensues. And basically what happens there at the end of that is Cable... Uh, Nathan Summers, the son of Cyclops, takes the baby and goes into the future to keep her safe from all these warring factions. And then the premise for this book is they come back into the current timeline. Um, and then you have a really great villain, uh, villain by the name of Bastion, who is this uh, cyborg that is is uh, the primary antagonist, and he creates this like coalition with a lot of anti mutant. Uh, individuals villains that have popped up throughout you know x-men history you have uh stephen lang boulevard trask william striker Graydon creed cameron hodge all of these anti-mutant uh individuals he resurrects all of them during the necrotia storyline uh to carry out the final execution of mutant kind i say all that and i gave you all that history 
but I feel like this is an easy enough jumping on point because all you need to know really is Hope Summers is, pun intended, the hope for the future of mutant kind. And we have to save her at all costs. Um, it's very um, Terminator-esque, you know, protect John Connor, you know, um, all of that. So that, like, that was the biggest um, takeaway that I got. It was mad Terminator vibes. Um, it's the mutant messiah. We have to protect her. And Cable becomes like this father to this child, and who now she's all grown up in the current timeline, That that is really... You know, the father that I aspire to be, he does everything to protect this child. He sacrifices, you know, his own wants and needs and desires, you know, going back and forth between timelines. Um, There are some really meaningful and tear-inducing sacrifices by characters that you know and love. It's one of the few crossovers that you really can't stop reading. I read the entire event in, like, a period of 24 hours, like 20 issues. If you are a fan of any of the following characters, make sure you check this one out because they really get to flex their awesome muscles. Rogue is amazing in this, and she's really underappreciated as a character. A lot of people see her as like one of their a lot of nerds see her as like their first crush from like the X Men animated series, and they just want to be called Sugar. But like Rogue is just an amazing character throughout X Men history, and she's really properly featured here. Nightcrawler is my personal favorite, and he is awesome here as well. Cable is fantastic. Some great Cyclops, you know, um, storylines here. Wolverine, and then Hope coming into her own and really being reintroduced to the mainstream timeline is really, really interesting. But X Men's Second Coming um, features, you know, writing by. Um, Craig Kyle and Christopher Yost, who were doing X-Factor at the time. Matt Fraction, who was doing uh, X-Men, Uncanny X-Men at the time. And then Zeb Wells, who was doing the New Mutants book. And then Mike Carey, who was doing X-Men Legacy. And then you have an art team that includes David Finch, uh, the Dodsons, Terry and Rachel Dodson, uh, Ibram Roberson, Greg Land, uh, who's just one of my favorites, Mike Choi, who we referenced previously with Witchblade. Um, he came in and, and he was just knocked it out of the park with, with some of the art here. So great art, a super cool, like real action thriller. Like I said, it's almost like, uh, I, I really felt like I was watching T2, uh, Terminator, uh, Judgment Day reading these books and it was really, really cool and, and, and just really suspenseful issue after issue page turner, but yeah, you got to check it out. I think you really sold me on this. I'm such an X-Men novice, you know, I'm still reading Grant Morrison's run after reading Astonishing X-Men by uh, Joss Whedon. And when I was saw this recommendation, I was reading over the description of the book online, and it was indicated that it was basically like the closing of a trilogy with Messiah Complex and Messiah War being sort of the first and second parts. Do you think I can just jump straight into Second Coming, or do I need to go back and read Messiah Complex and Messiah War first? I don't even think, honestly, that I read Messiah War. I did read Messiah Complex, and it was much ado about nothing. It was not one of my favorite events. Um, Basically, what you need to know from Messiah Complex, here's everything. You know, like, Hope Summers is the hope for the future. She's the baby. She's the first mutant birth since M-Day, when, you know, all mutants were wiped out, except for 198. So, Hope and then at the end of the story, she's brought into the future by Cable. That's basically everything that you need to know about Messiah Complex. Um, and then Mutant War, or Messiah War, or whatever the second one was. I don't even think I read that one. So uh, I thoroughly enjoyed this one without that previous knowledge. 
That sounds great. Well, then I'm definitely going to go ahead and give this one a look. All right, ladies and gents, thanks so much for joining us for another episode of the Nerd by Word podcast. We hope that you're as excited as we are for some of these awesome nerdy things coming down the pipe. Um, thanks so much for supporting the show. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, uh, YouTube for audio versions of the program. Uh, and you can always find us on social media on Instagram and Twitter at Nerd by Word. You can find us individually at That Nerd Dave and at That Nerd Chris. And as always, thanks so much for your support. And uh, just to give you guys a little preview, we are currently lining up our next interview. I'm very excited to uh, tell you that we're going to be bringing in a author uh, to talk a little bit about his work and some of his upcoming projects. I'm not going to quite reveal uh, who that is yet, but uh, stay tuned. I think you're really going to enjoy this one. Thanks so much, guys. Stay safe, stay well, and stay nerdy. The Nerd by Word is produced by two nerds, Chris and Dave, to encompass all aspects of the nerd multiverse. The theme music was written by Al Jimenez. Our show art features original art by Ashby Design, as well as public domain comic pens. Find us online at nerdbyword.com, on Twitter at nerdbyword, and send questions and comments to nerdbyword at gmail.com.